Chapter Seven of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Evelyn Clark. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Chapter Seven ways and means when lady delacour repeated to miss portman the message about simplicity of mind and dignity of character she frankly said belinda notwithstanding all this observe i'm determined to retain clarence hervey among the number of my public worshippers during my life which you know cannot last long after i am gone my dear he'll be all your own and of that i give you joy posthumous fame is a silly thing but posthumous jealousy detestable there was one part of the conversation between Mr. Hervey and her ladyship which she, in her great discretion, did not immediately repeat to Miss Portman, that part which related to the horses. In this transaction, Belinda had no further share than having once, when her ladyship had the handsome horses brought for her to look at, assented to the opinion that they were the handsomest horses she ever beheld. Mr. Hervey, however gallantly he replied to her ladyship, was secretly vexed to find that Belinda had so little delicacy as to permit her name to be employed in such a manner. He repented having used the improper expression of dignity of mind, and he relapsed into his former opinion of Mrs. Stanhope's niece. A relapse is always more dangerous than the first disease. He sent home the horses to Lady Delacour the next day, and addressed Belinda when he met her, with the air of a man of gallantry who thought that his peace had been cheaply made but in proportion as his manners became more familiar hers grew more reserved lady delacour rallied upon her prudery but in vain clarence hervey seemed to think that her ladyship had not fulfilled her part of the bargain is not smiling he said the epithet always applied to peace yet i have not been able to obtain one smile from miss portman since i have been promised peace embarrassed by mr hervey's reproaches and provoked to find that belinda was proof against all her raillery lady delacour grew quite ill-humoured towards her 
Belinda, unconscious of having given any just cause of offence, was unmoved, and her ladyship's embarrassment increased. At last, resuming all her former appearance of friendship and confidence, she suddenly exclaimed one night, after she had flattered Belinda into high spirits, "'Do you know, my dear, that I have been so ashamed of myself for this past week "'that I have hardly dared to look you in the face? "'I am sensible. I was downright rude and cross to you one day, "'and ever since I have been penitent. "'And, as all penitents are, very stupid and disagreeable.' I am sure. But tell me you forgive my caprice, and Lady Delacour will be herself again. It was not difficult to obtain Belinda's forgiveness. Indeed, continued Lady Delacour, you are too good, but then in my own justification i must say that i have more things to make me ill-humoured than most people have now my dear that most obstinate of human beings lord delacour has reduced me to the most terrible situation i have made clarence hervey buy a pair of horses for me and I cannot make my Lord Delacour pay for them. But I forgot to tell you that I took your name, not in vain, indeed, in this business. I told Clarence that upon condition he would do this job for me, you would forgive him for all his sins, and nay, my dear, why do you look as if I had stabbed you in the heart? After all, I only drew upon your pretty mouth for a few smiles. Pray, let me see whether it has actually forgotten how to smile. Belinda was too vexed at this instance to understand raillery. She was inspired by anger and unwanton courage, and losing all fear of Lady Delacour's wit, she very seriously expostulated with her ladyship upon having thus used her name without her consent or knowledge. Belinda felt she was now in danger of being led into a situation which might be fatal to her reputation and her happiness and she was more surprised at her ladyship when she recollected the history she had so lately heard of Harriet Freke and Colonel Lawless. "'You cannot but be sensible, Lady Delacour,' said Belinda, "'that after the contempt I have heard Mr. Hervey express for matchmaking with Mrs. Stanhope's nieces, I should degrade myself by any attempts to attract his attention. No wit, no eloquence can change my opinion on this subject. I cannot endure contempt. 
"'Very likely, no doubt,' interrupted Lady Delacour. "'But if you would only open your eyes, "'which heroines make it a principle never to do, "'or else there would be an end of the novel, "'if you would only open your eyes, "'you would see that this man is in love with you, "'and whilst you are afraid of his contempt, "'he is a hundred times more afraid of yours and as long as you are each of you in fear of you know not what you must excuse me if i indulge myself in a little wholesome raillery belinda smiled there now one such smile as that for clarence hervey and i am out of debt and danger said lady delacour oh lady delacour why why will you try your power over me in this manner said belinda you know that i ought not to be persuaded to do what i am conscious is wrong but a few days ago you told me yourself that mr hervey is is not a marrying man and a woman of your penetration must see that that he only means to flirt with me i am not a match for mr hervey in any respect he is a man of wit and gallantry i am unpractised in the ways of the world i was not educated by my aunt stanhope i have only been with her a few years i wish i had never been with her in my life i'll take care mr hervey shall know that said lady delacour but in the meantime i do think any fair appraiser of delicate distresses would decide that i am all the circumstances considered more to be pitied at this present moment than you are for the catastrophe of the business evidently is that i must pay two hundred guineas for the horses somehow or other i can pay for them exclaimed belinda and will with the greatest pleasure i will not go to the birth night my dress is not bespoke will two hundred guineas pay for the horses oh take the money pay mr hervey dear lady delacour and it will be all right you are a charming girl said lady delacour embracing her but how can i answer for it to my conscience or to your aunt stanhope if you don't appear on the birth night that cannot be my dear besides you know mrs franks will send home your drawing-room dress to-day and it would be so foolish to be presented for nothing not to go to the birth-night afterwards if you say a you must say b then said belinda i will not go to the drawing-room not go my dear what throw away fifty guineas for nothing really i never saw any one so lavish of her money and so economic of her smiles surely said miss portman it is better for me to throw away fifty guineas 
poor as I am, than to hazard the happiness of my life. Your ladyship knows that if I say A to Mr. Hervey, I must say B. No, no, my dear Lady Delacour, here is the draught for two hundred guineas. Pay Mr. Hervey, for heaven's sake, and there is an end of the business. What a positive child it is. Well, then, it shall not be forced to say the A, B, C of Cupid's alphabet to that terrible pedagogue, Clarence Hervey, till it pleases. But seriously, Miss Portman, I am concerned that you will make me take this draught. It is absolutely robbing you. But Lord Delacour is the person you must blame. It is all his obstinacy. Having once said he would not pay for the horses, he would see them and me and the whole human race expire before he would change his silly mind. Next month, I shall have it in my power, my dear, to repay you with a thousand thanks. And in a few months more, we shall have another birthday, and a new star shall appear in the firmament of fashion, and it shall be called Belinda. In the meantime, my dear, upon second thoughts, perhaps we can get Mrs. Franks to dispose of your drawing-room dress to some person of taste, and you may keep your fifty guineas for the next occasion. I'll see what can be done. Adieu. A thousand thanks, silly child as you are. Mrs. Franks at first declared that it would be an impossibility to dispose of Miss Portman's dress, though she would do anything upon earth to oblige Lady Delacour. However, ten guineas made everything possible. Belinda rejoiced at having, as she thought, extricated herself at so cheap a rate, and well pleased with her own conduct, she wrote to her aunt Stanhope to inform her of as much of the transaction as she could disclose without betraying Lady Delacour. Her ladyship, she said, had immediate occasion for two hundred guineas, and to accommodate her with this sum she had given up the idea of going to court. The tenor of Miss Portman's letter will be sufficiently apparent from Mrs. Stanhope's answer. Mrs. Stanhope to Miss Portman, Bath, June 2nd. I cannot but feel some astonishment, Belinda, at your very extraordinary conduct and more extraordinary letter. What you can mean by principles and delicacy, I own, I don't pretend to understand. When you see, you not only forget the respect that is due to the opinions and advice of the aunt to whom you owe everything, but you take upon yourself to lavish her money without common honesty. I send you two hundred guineas, 
and desire you to go to court. You lend my two hundred guineas to Lady Delacour and inform me that as you think yourself bound in honor to her ladyship, you cannot explain all the peculiars to me, otherwise you are sure I should approve of the reasons which have influenced you. Mighty satisfactory, truly. And then to mend the matter, you tell me that you do not think that in your situation in life it is necessary that you should go to court your opinions and mine you add differ in many points then i must say that you are as ungrateful as you are presumptuous for i am not such a novice in the affairs of the world as to be ignorant that when a young lady professes to be of a different opinion from her friends it is only a prelude to something worse she begins by saying that she is determined to think for herself and she is determined to act for herself and then it is all over with her and all the money etc that has been spent on her education is so much dead loss to her friends now i look upon it that a young girl who has been brought up and brought forward in the world as you have been by connections is bound to be guided implicitly by them in all her conduct what should you think of a man who after he had been brought into parliament by a friend would go and vote against that friend's opinion you do not want sense belinda you perfectly understand me and consequently your errors i must impute to the defect of your heart and not of your judgment i see that on account of the illness of the princess the king's birthday is put off for a fortnight if you manage properly and if unknown to the lady who certainly has not used you well in this business and to whom therefore you owe no peculiar delicacy you make lord sensible how much your aunt stanhope is disappointed and displeased as i most truly am at your intention of missing this opportunity of appearing at court it is ten to one but his lordship who has not made it a point to refuse your request i suppose will pay you your two hundred guineas you of course will make proper acknowledgments but at the same time entreat that his lordship will not commit you with his lady as he might be offended at your application to him i understand from an intimate acquaintance of his that you are a great 
favorite of his lordship, and though an obstinate, he is a good-natured man, and can have no fear of being governed by you. Consequently, he will do just as you would have him. Then you have an opportunity of representing the thing in the prettiest manner imaginable to the lady. As an instance of her lord's consideration for her. So, you will oblige all parties, a very desirable thing, without costing yourself one penny, and go to the birth night after all, and this only by using a little address, without which nothing is to be done in this world. Yours affectionately, if you follow my advice, Selina Stanhope. Belinda, though she could not, consistently with what she thought right, follow the advice so artfully given to her in this epistle, was yet extremely concerned to find that she had incurred the displeasure of an aunt to whom she thought herself under obligations. She resolved to lay by as much as she possibly could from the interest of her fortune and to repay the two hundred guineas to Mrs. Stanhope. She was conscious that she had no right to lend this money to Lady Delacour if her aunt had expressly desired that she should spend it only on her court dress. But this had not distinctly been expressed when Mrs. Stanhope sent her niece the draft. The lady was in the habit of speaking and writing ambiguously, so that even those who knew her best were frequently in doubt how to interpret her words. Yet she was extremely displeased when her hints and half-expressed wishes were not understood. Beside, the concern she felt from the thoughts of having displeased her aunt, Belinda was both vexed and mortified to perceive that in Clarence Hervey's manner towards her there was not the change which she had expected that her conduct would naturally produce. One day she was surprised at his reproaching her for caprice and having given up her intentions of going to court. Lady Delacour's embarrassment whilst Mr. Hervey spoke, Belinda attributed to her ladyship's desire that Clarence should not know that she had been obliged to borrow the money to pay him for the horses. Belinda thought that this was a species of mean pride, but she made it a point to keep her ladyship's secret. She therefore slightly answered Mr. Hervey that she wondered that a man who was so well acquainted with the female sex should be surprised at any instance of caprice from a woman. The conversation then took another turn, and whilst they were talking of indifferent subjects, in came Lord Delacour's man Champfort, with Mrs. Stanhope's draft 
for two hundred guineas which the coachmaker's man had just brought back because miss portman had forgotten to endorse it belinda's astonishment was almost as great at this instance as lady delacour's confusion come this way my dear and we'll find you a pen and ink you'll need not wait champ for it but tell the man to wait for the draft miss portman will endorse it immediately and she took belinda into another room good heavens has not this money been paid to mr hervey exclaimed belinda no my dear but i will take all the blame upon myself or which will do just as well for you throw it all upon my better half my lord delacour would not pay for my new carriage the coachmaker insolent animal would not let it out of his yard without two hundred guineas in ready money now you know i had the horses and what could i do with the horses without the carriage clarence hervey i knew could wait for his money better than a poor devil of a coachmaker so i paid the coachmaker and a few months sooner or later can make no difference to clarence who rolls in gold my dear if that will be any comfort to you as i hope it will oh what will he think of me said belinda nay what will he think of me child lady delacour said belinda in a firmer tone than she had ever before spoken i must insist upon this draft being given to mr hervey absolutely impossible my dear i cannot take it from the coachmaker he has sent home the carriage the things done and cannot be undone but come since i know nothing else will make you easy i will take this mighty favor from mr hervey entirely upon my own conscience you cannot object to that for you are not the keeper of my conscience i will tell clarence the whole business and do you honor due my dear so endorse the check whilst i go and sound both the praises of your dignity of mind and simplicity of character etc 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 her ladyship broke away from belinda returned to clarence hervey and told the whole affair with that peculiar grace with which she knew how to make a good story of a bad one clarence was as favorable an auditor at this time as she could possibly have found for no human being could value money less than he did and all sense of her ladyship's meanness was lost in his joy at discovering that belinda was worthy of his esteem now he felt in its fullest extent all the power she had over his heart and he was upon the point of declaring his attachment to her when malheurement sir philip baddely and mr rochfort announced themselves by the noise they made on the staircase these were the young men who had spoken in such a contemptuous manner at lady singleton's 
of the matchmaking Mrs. Stanhope and her nieces. Mr. Hervey was anxious that they should not penetrate into the state of his heart, and he concealed his emotion by instantly assuming that kind of rattling gaiety which always delighted his companions, who were ever in want of someone to set their stagnant ideas in motion. At last, they insisted upon carrying Clarence away with them to taste some wines for Sir Philip Baddeley. End of chapter 7 Recording by Evelyn Clark